Well, good morning, Memorial Road. Hello to all the people in the auditorium. Uh, greetings to everybody at home, everybody at Fellowship Central. Uh, thrilled that you're with us again this morning. Has anybody seen the docu- or it's not a documentary, the uh, TV show Chosen? Anybody? It's been out for a few years. A lot of people have been talking about it, and I just got around to, uh, to, to watching it uh, just a few weeks ago. I've watched just a few episodes, and it's, it's the story of the life of Jesus. It's told over the course of, of quite a few episodes, and I sat down with my family to watch this, and it was really interesting because the first episode, it's, it's fairly dark. Like, it's trying to paint a picture of what first century Palestine would have looked like. So there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of fighting. It definitely uh, talks about the tension between Rome and Jewish people. And I'm sitting there watching this with Mary and my two children, and there are certain parts, and we're all getting pretty tense. In fact, there's one subplot of the first episode of this woman who's possessed by a demon. And the way that this show portrays it is, is actually, to be honest, it's, it's terrifying. It's like a horror movie. Now, I'm, I'm not even that big of a fan myself of, of horror movies, but definitely not my, my children. And so we're watching this, and we're all just like, oh, man, this is just nerve-wracking. At one point, one of my children just buries her head in the couch cushion, just like, I'm done, tell me when it's over. Another child just gets up. I'm out. Tell me when this is over. It's like, it's, it's tense. And, and all throughout the episode, Anna and Heidi kept asking me, like, Dad, what's, like, why are we watching this? What is happening? And I kept pausing it and saying, girls, I think that they're just trying to describe how horrible the world is, but I'm pretty sure Jesus is going to show up. Like, I hope he shows up. Please show up. <laughs> but they just, like, it, the, the, the episode's about an hour, and they just, they just keep building this and building this, and Jesus isn't showing up. He's not showing up. It's getting darker and darker and darker and more and more scary and more and more tense. Finally, with two minutes left, <laughs> Jesus walks onto the screen, and I wish you could have seen my living room because spontaneous pandemonium broke loose in my living room. We all four of us jumped off the couch. We start applauding and yelling and screaming and high-fiving each other. Not going to lie, little tears rolling down my cheek. I mean, this we're celebrating because Jesus has finally come onto the screen. Now, here's my, my question for you. What effect do you have on a group of people when you enter that group? I'm not talking about a large group of people where you walk in and nobody really knows who you are. I'm actually talking about your friend groups, your family, people you know, people you work with. Let's say they're already talking, there's a conversation already happening, and you enter that group. What effect do you have on that group? Obviously, in the episode, when Jesus walks onto the scene, he has this amazing effect, especially on this demon-possessed woman. But what about you? How do you impact other people? So are you the kind of person that raises the anxiety of other people? There's a guy I know, doesn't go to this church, but whenever he enters into a discussion with, with people or with me and a group I'm a part of, 
he raises the anxiety. I always feel tense inside. I actually can sense my stomach tightening when he walks into the group because I'm always afraid that he's not going to like something that I said. That's the effect he has on the group. I know other people and they have the opposite effect. There's so many people in this room or at home that I could talk about that, that you lower the anxiety in a group. In fact, a lot of you bring a lot of joy to the groups that you're a part of. There's, I could say this about a lot of our elders, but there's one particular elder I have in my mind that when he talks to me or when he enters into a group I'm a part of, we all feel uplifted. He's, he's funny and insightful, and, and he, just, he just brings joy. He changes the energy of, of the group. So again, what about you? What effect do you have on groups of, uh, of people that you enter? Another way of, of asking this question would, would be, what's it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? That's a really helpful way to think about the way that you impact other people because the reason this is so important is because sometimes the effect you have on somebody else isn't necessarily what you thought it was. Like if you can really spend some time placing yourself on the other side of yourself and think, I wonder what it's like to be around me, then maybe you'll have insights like, like maybe, maybe your nitpicking isn't, isn't quite as helpful as you thought it was, or, or maybe what you thought was humor is really hurtful to somebody else. Maybe your sarcasm isn't quite as funny as you thought it was. Maybe you say things sometimes that hurt other people more than you think that, that you would want to or, or that you thought it would. And so it's a really, really important question to think about. Uh, one reason it's important is because we really do, unintentionally, we can hurt other people. So for example, this, this guy that raises the anxiety of the group, he doesn't have a clue he does it. He's, he's not aware. But I'm not aware either sometimes of the effect I have on a group. So I, I'm a very efficient person. I like getting things done orderly and quickly. And I think that's a good thing. But sometimes talking to people close to me, I've re I'm realizing that my efficiency can actually cause other people to become anxious. It stresses them out. So it's really important to think about this because you can negatively impact other people without even realizing it. But it's also really important to think about your effect on on other people because at the end of the day that's that's the legacy you're gonna leave a long time from now when when people remember you the thing that they're gonna remember is is the effect of your presence so a, a few days ago Max Pope one of our elders sent me this really really helpful article in the Oklahoman ran a few weeks ago by Jane Gamble and she, in this article, she tells the story about two grandmothers and the impact that they had on her. And then she has a really, really good question, just right to the point, right to the heart of it question that, that summarizes her article. She says, how do you want your grandkids to remember you? Or what do you want your grandkids to remember about you? Do you want them to remember how you vote, how you rant, or how you love? It's a really, really good question. And so what I want to talk about for just a few minutes here is, is the kind of effect that you have on other people, specifically during this time of the year. So we're in this series called City on a Hill. And today what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at where this, these three words come from. They come from the Sermon on the Mount. And to remind you, the big idea of City on a Hill is this. We're going through a tense few weeks in our country, and we can do more than just get through it. 
I think as Christians, we can actually set the example and be the kind of people that we would say, hey, the rest of the world, look at how we're handling this. It's going to be okay. There's a higher standard than just getting through. And so today what I want to do is look at the very text from which we find these words. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus has a group of people in front of him. He's just gotten through giving the Beatitudes in which he describes uh, these are the kind of people, the broken and the, the, the merciful and the, the poor people, these are the kind of people through which the kingdom of God is going to come into the world. So right after he gets through the Beatitudes, he has uh, this title that he gives for, for his listeners, and, and it's a pretty amazing title. Here's what he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. It's a really short passage. Most of you, have, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably heard th- th- these words. They're very familiar words. If you're not a Christian, they're, they're pretty, pretty amazing words. But, but what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about this, this sentence, really, from three different directions. I, the first thing I want to do is I want to focus on the gravity of this phrase. Second thing I want to do is I want to focus on the ambiguity of at least part of this phrase. And the third thing I want to do is focus on the opportunity of this phrase. So first, let's talk about the gravity. All throughout your life, you will work hard and get the right education in order to achieve certain titles and roles and positions. And this starts really early on. So in first grade, at least if, if, if your first grade works the way that my first grade worked, my first grade teacher had lots of jobs for the kids. And, and there was jobs that everybody thought were mediocre, like the person that turned the lights on and off or the person that picked up the papers. But there was one job and every kid wanted it. Does anybody know what job this is? That's correct. It's the line leader. So we all waited for the day when the teacher would look at us and say, you are the leader of the line. And we would feel really important. And we would go to the front of that line and we would walk with confidence because this was our job. Our teacher had given us this role and we were very proud of this role. Maybe in, later in life you played sports and at one point a coach looked at you and said, you are the captain of the team. And again, you felt this sense of pride because it validated your work ethic and it validated your talent and your leadership ability and you took that very seriously. I, I'm the captain of the team. Maybe later in, in your life the Lord blessed you with a season of life where you could have children and maybe you remember that time where you had your first child and you're in the car driving home and you've got the car seat buckled just right and you have this sense of confidence and this sense of pride. I am now the father of this child or I am now the mother of this child and it's my responsibility to love them and protect them. Like, like we, have, we feel honored when, when we achieve that role. Uh, maybe vocationally at some point in your life someone said to you you're the VP of the company and you felt again this sense of of pride and accomplishment or maybe you're a teacher and someone said to you you are the teacher of the year which by the way we have several people in our church family who have achieved that um, wonderful wonderful award this year but when these, these things happen we we feel pride we feel joy we feel responsibility like I have to live up to this now God looked at you and said, you are the light of the world. 
It's the title that he's given to us as Christians. So this is not just some nice sentence you stick on a refrigerator. This is not just a a nice sentiment to sing about. This is a job. And there's no backup plan. Like we, we are it. Christians are the ones who are to carry out the mission of God to the world. We're the ones that are supposed to be light. And so my hope and my prayer is that you feel the gravity of this statement. You're the light. Like we're the light. This is our job. In fact, I love how there's a scholar named John Stott. And when he comments on this passage, I really like what he says about this verse. He, he says this. The world is going down the drain, but whose fault is it? Who's to blame? If the house is dark when nightfall comes, there's no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If society deteriorates and its standards decline until it becomes like a dark night, there is no sense in blaming society. It's what happens when fallen people are left to themselves. The question is, where's the church? Where's the light? It is sheer hypocrisy on our part to raise eyebrows and shrug shoulders and wring our hands. Jesus told us to be salt and light. If darkness and rottenness abound, it's our fault and we must accept blame. There's a lot of gravity to this statement. You are the light of the world. And so the question is, are you living up to that title that Jesus gave you? So that's the gravity of the statement. Now let's talk about the ambiguity of the statement. Because let me be honest for a second here. When, when someone says, be a light to the world or go out and change the world, I actually feel a little bit like I've been let off the hook. Because what are you really supposed to do to change the world? There's, there's 8 billion people in the world. And if I've got my math right, that means that by, by the time I die, that means that about 7,999,999,000-ish people will never know that I existed. And so when someone says, yeah, you should go out and change the world, it's like, yeah, what are we, okay, how are you supposed to do that? It's like asking someone to mow the state of Texas with a lawnmower. Like, you can't, you can't do that. And so for a lot of us, because the statement is somewhat ambiguous, we're like, "Eh, I can't really do anything about that. I'm just going to live my life. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a way to think about this text to make it much more specific to you. And and this way of reading the text, it doesn't let you off the hook. Here's a way to, to think about this. Being a light to the world is really about being a light to your world. Being a light to the world is really about being a light to your world. And I'm going to get very specific here. This is a great way to define your world. Four, four categories. Friends, family, neighbors, co-workers. Friends, family, neighbors, co-workers. That makes up 95% of the people that you know. And so if, if I just say, yeah, go be a light to the world, you're probably let off the hook. But if I say, Jesus would like you to go be a light to your family today, that doesn't let you off the hook. So be a light to your world as in these specific people. So for example, you're going to wake up a lot of you and go to work tomorrow, whether that's in person or online, and you're going to see the same people you've seen for a long time. There's going to be that random person in the Zoom call that you know. There's going to be the teacher that teaches in the classroom next to you. There's the person in the cubicle next to you. There's the support staff. There's the janitorial staff. There's that person you say hi to every day when you walk into wherever you work. Well, the point is that's your world. So be a light to that 
world. Or, or even today, this afternoon, a lot of you are going to spend time with people that you spend time with all the time. It's, it's, it's your roommate, it's your son, your daughter, your sibling, your parent. Th- these people, these family members or friends that we see all the time, that's your world. Be a light to that world. You see, if you can't be a light to someone, then you really can't be a light to anyone. Being a light starts with your world. Like, like some of you today, you're going to log on and get on Bible class Zoom meetings, or you're going to go to a Q group, or you're going to go to a Bible class, and you're going to be sitting around talking to people, and maybe you're going to be thinking, why am I here? Why isn't this starting? I am tired of small talk. Those are all negative thoughts. A better thought is, that's your world. And Jesus told you to be a light to your world. A few weeks ago, I mowed the lawn, mowed the front. I'm pushing the lawnmower to the backyard. And when I get to the side of my house, I realize that someone has taken an entire panel, like a large section of my fence, taken it off and leaned it over my gate. And I'm like, ha, I don't remember there being a storm last night. And so I go and knock on my neighbor's door. He doesn't answer. And so I'm trying to figure out what to do. I'm just staring at this massive hole in the fence and I can't get my lawnmower back. And then my neighbor comes out of his house he says, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, yeah, I'm doing a project in my backyard. I had to dismantle the fence. I know you can't get in your backyard, sorry. I was like, oh, well, can you just help me move the panel back so I can mow my backyard? And he said, no, no, I, I got to get a, a tree, a stump grinder back there, so no, I'm not going to do that. I was like, whew, <laughs> I can talk about getting mad. <laughs> but it's my world. It's my neighbor. And my job is to be a light. To the world. It's your job too. That's what Jesus calls us to do, is be a light to the world. In fact, one of the things that I, I just find so astonishing and so wonderful about Jesus is that his world became whoever was in front of him. So, so the centurion comes and says, my daughter's sick. Well, for Jesus, that becomes his world. Like, it's everything, and he wants to be a light to that world. And, or he's preaching a sermon, and these people lower a paralyzed guy through the roof. Well, I'd get irritated about that, but Jesus, you know what? That's his world. I, I got to be a light to that world. His disciples start arguing about who's the greatest, and that's got to be annoying, this petty argument. But for Jesus, he stops and he says, this is my world. I got to be a light to that world. Nicodemus interrupts him at night. Jesus doesn't get upset. That's his world. Got to be a light to the world. Jesus is on the cross. His mother's weeping. What happens? Jesus says, that's my world. Got to be a light to that world. Like Jesus' world is whoever is in front of him at any given moment. So here, let me, let me just say this very simply, especially about marriage. Husbands, your wife is your world. Be a light to that world. And wives, your husband is your world. Be a light to that world world. Marriages start falling apart when spouses give their best light to somebody else. Be light to your world. So we've talked about the gravity of the phrase. We've talked about the ambiguity of that word world. And now I want to talk about the opportunity here. So let me, let me read this uh, phrase one, one more time. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So notice that the first part's more of a personal phrase. You, 
your life, you're the light of the world. But the second sentence is more of a corporate statement. A city, this is a group of people, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And, and that image would have made a lot of sense to first century people because in their minds, they've probably walked these roads between towns and they know what it's like to be on a long journey. Your feet are tired. The sun actually is already set, but you've got to keep going because you've got to make it to the next city. And, and you're so weary and you're thirsty at this point. And then you're pretty nervous because now it's nighttime and you're not sure what animals are out there. You're not sure what criminals might be lurking on the sides of the road. And you just want to get somewhere safe. And then all of a sudden in the distance, you see the lights of a city. You see these lamps turned on and you're filled with hope. People in Jesus' day would have got that. They would have understood that. And, and, and the point, point is this. When, when a group of people turn their lights on, you can't miss it. It's unmissable. And so here's the point for you and I. A light-filled Christian can reach a person. But a light-filled church can reach a city. And see, this is what I feel is like the great opportunity for Memorial Road because like on the one hand, when you really start practicing this and I'm going to be a light to my world and my friends and my family and my neighbors, my coworkers, that's great. Those people are going to be influenced by your presence. Anxiety is going to go down. Joy is going to go up. You're going to build a great legacy and your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids will remember you as someone who brings light and joy and that's all great. But when we do it together, Oh, it gets so much better. When, when 10 people do it here, when a dozen people do it here, when a Bible class does it here, when, when a few hundred people do it, when a few thousand people do it in our church, things really start to change. Like we really do, we start to become this colossal magnet to a lost and broken and thirsty world. Like people start to notice who are these Christians? I want to be like them. I want to be with them. I want to have what they have. Like th This is how we start to make a difference in, in larger ways in the world is when we do this together. That's the opportunity. In fact, you should be so proud of our church family. I'll just tell you a quick story here. So there's a certificate sitting in Andy Lashley's office because a few weeks ago at the Edmond Public School Board meeting, the Memorial Road Church of Christ was honored as one of the leading churches in the city and do you know why we were honored? It's not because of our amazing children's program, and it's not because of our great youth ministry, and it's not because of any sermon I've ever preached. It's not because of our amazing mission influence in the world. We were given this award because for several years now we have fed and tutored and loved students at Orvis Reisner, and we've supported their teachers. And see, what happens over time when a church decides to be light is that people start to notice. And there's an impact that is made in the wider world. But again, all of this starts with you being a light to your world. That's where it starts. And so let me give you one more thought and then a challenge. This paragraph in Matthew 5 ends with this, this word. Jesus says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. That's such an important two words there. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus ends this section with a pretty simple instruction or simple thought. What he's getting at here is good light is fueled by good deeds. And so if you want to be a really bright light, it actually starts with what you do. It's your, it's your deeds. So here's my challenge this week. 
It's pretty simple. I want you to write your own headlines, as in live them out. See, the truth of the matter is, like, there are so many factors in the world which are pushing us to do something that we probably shouldn't do. A lot of us are living our lives vicariously through the headlines of other people right now. The pandemic has, has made a lot of us spend a lot more time at home, alone, watching TV or scrolling on our devices, and we're in the middle of this tense political season, and so what we're tempted to do is live our lives vicariously through other people's headlines. And so we keep waiting for the next headline and the next news story and, and, and the next big breaking news to, to, to come out, and then we, we just live there, and we live there, and we live there. We do this with the news. We do this with sports. I love sports, but a lot of us, we live our lives through these other people. We do this with TV shows. We become so caught up in these characters and these amazing plot lines and these twists at the end that we start living our lives through other people. All I'm saying is get up and live your life this week. Write your own headlines. Live your own story. And your headlines don't have to be that amazing. In fact, big thanks to Stephanie Anderson. I gave her some ideas and she came up with some wonderful like mock headlines. But these are the kind of headlines I'm challenging you to live out this week. So here's one. Dad plays with child during out of the ordinary day trip. That's a great headline. Maybe you can write that headline this week. Here's another one. Growing disciple resists temptation. No one's going to read about that on a news feed. It's not going to make the news cycle on TV, but that's a great headline. Maybe you should live that one this week. Here's one, busy woman prays. Great headline. Kids, if you've tuned me out, listen to this one. Oh, no, no, I got the order mixed up. Uh, no, I'll do this one, then I'll do the kid one. This is a great one. I'll save the kid one for the end. This is a really good one. Christian doesn't publish snarky Facebook posts. Can I get an amen from anybody? Live this headline this week. You can do this. Now, kids. All right, kids, pay attention here. Child cleans room without being asked. Can I get an amen from the parents? <laughs> like, you can do this. Just write your own headlines this week. Stop being so worried about the headlines that you read every day and get up. Get off the couch. Get off the dining room chair. Go write your own headlines this week. That's your challenge. And here's how we're going to end the sermon today. We're going to celebrate some headlines from the past few months that we haven't really talked about. A lot of people have got baptized uh, over the pandemic, and we haven't got to see any of it. In fact, 37 people over the last few months during the pandemic have given their lives to Christ in baptism, and so we want to celebrate those this morning. So I want you to watch this video, uh, and then we'll, we'll uh, show some honor and, and recognition for those people that have got baptized. Let's watch this video. Stand and shout, shout and sing. We've been bought and redeemed. Jesus died. Jesus lives, Jesus loves, and He forgives. So let your praise rise up and magnify. Let your voice be heard and testify. Our God loves, our God saves, our God rescues from the grave. Our God showers down His mercy on the ones He came to save. Our God heals, our God frees, our God gives us everything to live and love.
That's a headline worth celebrating right there. So what I'd like to do now is a lot of these people that got baptized are uh, in our service live in the auditorium today. Uh, some of them are at home, but they're going to join us on the screen. So if you're in the room, would you go ahead and stand up? And then if you're on the screen, uh, there you are. Let's give a round of applause for all of our new brothers and sisters. This is the day, this, this is, is the day, day that the Lord has Well, for all of you who did get baptized, and if you can hear me uh, on the screen, we, we want you to know from our church family, we are so excited uh, for you, and we wish we all could have been there uh, on the, on, in the moment when you got baptized, but we're thrilled for your uh, decision. In fact, let's, let's have a prayer uh, right now for all of our new brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we're so thankful that uh, even though in some ways the world has shut down the last few months, uh, your spirit has not shut down. Uh, kingdom is advancing, uh, and your son Jesus rose from the grave, and people are still coming to know uh, your son Jesus uh, through baptism, and we celebrate that, Father. I, I pray for all these new brothers and sisters in Christ that you give, him great, give them great uh, courage and give them great strength and great wisdom as they begin their walk with Christ. I, I pray for um, all the people listening to my voice that have been thinking about getting baptized, Father, uh, that you would um, move them uh, to make that decision to follow you and give them the confidence uh, to make that choice to place their life into your hands and to anticipate the day when you'll come back and that we can spend eternity with you, Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen. We're going to sing a song, and uh, if you do, uh, if you would like to give your life to Christ in baptism, maybe you have been thinking over the last few months, I want to do this, but it's been a weird year. I don't know when to do it. Uh, today would be a great day. We'd be happy to do that for you. Uh, if there's any 
thing that you need from this church family, I'll encourage you to come tell me about it while we stand and sing. Good.